Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Uh, quite nice to actually have uh, about two years to actually do some research on this because more organisations are actually starting to consume and issue open data as well so we actually have a lot more people to talk to but what I'm going to try and do is um, I apologise at first sort of looking at some of the past lectures they tend to be about people and how they're using data within their organisations this is going to be slightly different because this is a project where we're trying to really take a more systematic view of open data and what I mean by that is sort of thinking about open data and its participants has been part of an ecology. We'll explain that in a little moment. What we're ultimately trying to do at the moment with our project is look a little bit more about what are you know, the opportunities, what are the reasons for using open data, but also what are some of the risks around open data as well. So when we kind of started chatting to the ODI about two years ago, we started to read up a lot about open data. And a lot of the material that you'd find was often talking about how open data could be used, what the potential benefits could be, and a lot of it was talking about potential and visions. What we wanted to do is get some more kind of hard business evidence from the kind of leading pioneers to find out what actually are the strategies that are being used to capture value from open data. How is it being used to reshape business models? And how are risks managed? Open data is quite unique. It's open. It's not closed. So when you kind of open up all of your data to the world, this automatically brings a lot of very particular issues which can be quite problematic which need to be managed. So what we try to do is go out to the world, start talking to people in different government departments in the UK, sort of brand new startups, startups which have been around for a while, big corporates that are thinking or starting to use open data, but also some people who decided not to use open data or who've started to use open data and decided not to follow it through. So what we want to try and do is get a systematic view of what's actually going on with more kind of a, a strategic view. What we ultimately uh, want to come up with uh, by the end of the year, of course, is a kind of open, well, non-academic practitioner-based report. So if you are interested in what our findings are, do make a note of our email at the end and drop us an email and we'll let you have a copy later on. By the way, just as a quick caveat before I continue, uh, we're two-thirds of the way through our project at the moment. So we've got hours and hours of recorded conversations with startup sort of venturers and corporate execs on this. So we've still got a little bit of kind of work and data collection to do yet, a bit more analysis to do. So do take some of these findings with a little pinch of salt. Might be quite interesting as well to see what your views are as well and what we've come up with. But I'll skip the unusual academic boring methodology and just kind of take you into how we have started doing our research project. So we started off with this very childish idea of what is open data. You have this kind of government issuer and then you have an end user that opens, you know, uses that data. What we've started to do, though, as we've started to go and talk to our research, is find out how open data is quite sort of messy in terms of how it works with strategy. And we've, we now make this argument that you can't really understand the strategy of open data in business if you don't understand the ecologies. So if I just take you through this as a sort of one of the typical examples, you'll have a sort of small business potentially using open data that's issued by government departments, might be one, two, three, four. They might be using data from non-profits like OpenStreetMap as well. They might also be using data from other private sector organisations through an API or whatever, and a bit of closed data too. And obviously they might also be issuing data to other businesses. So what you start to find is that you can't really understand how to have a successful strategy, how to develop a business model, unless you understand where a kind of business sits within its wider open data ecology. So that's one of the things that we've been kind of trying to do as a way of framing our study. The other thing which we've tried to do is start to think a little bit more about what actually is an open data business and what do we mean about that. 
because that's actually a very wide, very grey area. <coughs> so you might have a large global conglomerate that's a consulting agency. They might just use a little tiny bit of open data every now and again when it's convenient. On the other hand, you might have a very small, very kind of high growth startup where open data and specific data sets are key to its products. The business wouldn't exist if it wasn't for those particular data sets. So what we find is when you start to think about strategies and business models, you really need to kind of pay attention to the actual role of open data and that kind of mix of closed data to see how important it is. We've also started to realise that it's important to kind of view the open data world through the sort of life cycle of where open data is used. So you obviously get kind of small startups, a, a group of kind of elite venturers where open data is kind of in the core DNA of the business model. You also get some kind of MEs, kind of large SMEs, using quite a lot of open data. But what we're finding at the moment is in the corporate sector, there's not too much use of open data. People might be using a few data sets here and there, but it's not kind of key and core to the organisation. And there might be a couple of reasons for that which make sense. Number one, large global corporates are very slow to innovate quite often. So kind of repositioning a very complex business model and organisation around open data can be quite complicated. But we can maybe discuss that in a little while. So one of the things we wanted to do is sort of look a little bit about the motivations and the reasons for creating value around open data. Now I won't talk through this in too much detail because uh, I'll be here all day. But when we were kind of talking to the open data right at the beginning, well, the ODI sort of two years ago, we often asked this question, why do people use open data? Do they go on a hack day event, start looking at data, find a kind of potential business model or a product, or is it existing organisations which see value in using open data? We've actually found it's the latter, and there's quite an important reason for this. What we found is that everyone who uses open data in their business is using open data to meet a very specific need. They've found a product gap already. And what we've found is these are the guys that are the most successful. The reason this is, is effectively, if you sort of have an appreciation of a business sector or a problem, you're able to ask more meaningful questions about what to do with the data. So one big complaint people often used to say when we talk to them is you'll have all these nerds that can crush data, do the analytics, you'll come up with infographics or products, but if you don't know what the important question is, if you don't know why people need that product, then you can't really use open data properly. So the actual kind of uh, unleashing of the value of open data is kind of key to knowing your sector. Kind of mentioned the um, SME kind of centre activity already in SMEs. We've kind of started to identify some of the main reasons why people use open data as well. This isn't kind of exhaustive, this is just a little uh, bit of a, an insight. But um, some of these are kind of quite obvious. So a lot of consultancy organisations sometimes just use open data as they would with any other kind of data. It's just available. Some organisations have started to realise they can create new unique products using open data. Products which just wouldn't exist before if that data wasn't available. Some people just to use it to save a little bit of cash. But what we found most interesting is the idea of using open data in SMEs to grow through open innovation. So what I mean about this is a lot of SMEs that have been quite successful have started to open up their data and issue it so other SMEs can come along and start creating new products. What that then means is that that drives more customers from one startup to the issuer so they can get more customers and in return a bit of money is kind of passed back to the startup. And what a lot of sort of businesses are finding is this enables them to scale up very very quickly and this is quite important because if you're an SME using open data it's quite easy often to actually 
you know, for a competitor to come in and kind of copy that business model. So if you can use open innovation to grow your SME quite rapidly, that gives you a much more critical mass quite early on. It makes it easier to defend against competitors, which is quite important. What we've also noticed quite often is we've been looking quite a bit about where the value comes from using open data in business and which business models work really, really well. And what a lot of people have told us is effectively the web is consisted with a, a bunch of stingy consumers, a bit like me. So I'll go on Facebook, I'll moan about the pop-ups, the advertising, but I'd never actually want to pay for the service. And this kind of resonates throughout other products. So what we've realised is a lot of successful SMEs are basically creating products and platforms which engage with consumers. The product is free. This might be a kind of product which focuses on a particular hobby, for example, or a particular business product. But by getting people to engage with that product, you can start to collect additional data. So let's say you had something based around cycling. You know, people might engage with that product on a regular basis, but you get to find out who cycles, what their income is, where they go, what they do. And you can then start to package up that newly generated data and sell that off to other marketers or create new products along the premium line. So what we're finding is quite often a lot of the data doesn't come direct, well a lot of the value doesn't come directly from open data, it comes from kind of generating newer data, which is quite interesting. So in terms of the implementation, we wanted to kind of look at what some of the main barriers were in actually taking open data into your business and also you know, publishing it too. And one of the biggest problems which kind of came up time and time again was this issue of dirty data. And there seems to be quite an unevenness in terms of quality of different government departments. So some are very, very good. In the worst case, we've had people say, we wanted to use open data, we wanted to save money, but the data was just so poor in quality. We ended up calculating how many hours it would take to clean up that data set and realised it would just be cheaper to pay for the data from somewhere else, which raises some, some very uneasy questions. If government departments aren't taking open data publications seriously, then they're not adding value for businesses and effectively wasting taxpayer resources at the same time. So a little bit kind of strict in that regard. There's also a lot of issues around limited context. So quite often people will again publish data, make it available, but you won't know what it means, why, you know, how to use it. Now quite often a lot of data that is published openly, just it's quite easy, it's apparent of what it means. If you're talking about schools for example, most people in the UK who've been to school they understand the structure of the education system. If that data, though, is a little bit more obscure, it's very, very difficult to actually get meaning and to ask the correct questions about it. So again, that's quite problematic. We're also seeing this issue that kind of comes around what we might call fragmented micro-geographies. So one very excellent thing that's happening with open data is a lot of kind of city regions in the UK are starting to bring together their own data hubs to kind of publish and issue data based on local communities. And this is great for transparency, citizen participation. The problem is, is that the way in which the data is sort of published, the standards, is often very idiosyncratic to that region. So if you wanted to take a, create a new product that's UK-wide, if you've got lots of different bits of information from, say, the Hampshire Hub or up in Leeds or in Birmingham or wherever, it can be very, very difficult and painful to actually stitch all of that data together. So this issue of interoperability and harmonisation of standards is quite problematic. We've also got this big issue still about what is open data and this ambiguity. So when we're in the nice sanctity of the ODI, a lot of us are quite clear about what the rules are, what makes data open. When you go out into the world of business, though, that kind of gets quite messy. People don't necessarily understand. I 
probably wouldn't be lying if I said that almost everyone's definition of what open data was was slightly different. And this becomes really problematic because if you want to use someone's open data and it's not entirely clear if it is open, then that creates a lot of problems if you can actually use that data. Might I be using data which looks open and later might I get sued? Can be quite problematic. One of the big issues though which we're tending to find around open data is the sustainability of the movement is really fixed around people opening up and issuing data. And what we're finding is that quite often with a lot of SMEs they just don't have the time to actually open the data to publish it. This also is the same for a lot of government departments. So we're finding with cuts, with kind of staffing shortages, a lot of government departments don't often have the time. They're told to publish data but if you've only got so many hours in the day, sometimes the way the data is published can be a little bit kind of grubby. And again, this is a bit problematic. Larger organisations are finding that actually often they just don't know what data they've got. And this is really important because as we'll see later, if you're opening up data, you can't just open everything without auditing it, looking through it, thinking about what the risks are. So quite often, if you've got a very large, complicated organisation that's grown over time, your data management's messy, it's really difficult to find out what to actually open up. And this kind of comes back to this issue of managing risk, which will crop up a few slides later on. Because it's kind of trying to identify how might your data be mismanaged by others and trying to sort of manage that risk, because this can create some tricky problems. One of the big things though, that we're still seeing, especially with startups and larger organisations, is this question of why bother. Open data isn't free, it always has costs. Even if that's someone who's just you know, managing an API, checking API keys, registrations, loading stuff up as CSV files, it takes time, it costs money. And we're only just starting to find that some people are finding ways in which they can monetize open data through issuance without actually violating any of the open data principles. But again, well, come back to that in a moment. Another thing we try to do then is try and get some of the ideas of what are some of the key risks for open data issuance. This isn't exhaustive, but these are just some of the indications of what you'll find. So some it might just be that you're streaming in data from a feed from somewhere else, and someone decides to change the way they format or display the data, or change the way it works. And that can create all sorts of problems if no one notifies you. All of a sudden your app will work and then it suddenly won't, so we're doing some weird things. That's something which just can't be managed. As I've indicated already, there's often this problem with copycatting as well. So a lot of organisations have said, well, some people do copy our business model. They do basically try and use the same pieces of data. And that's okay because we've got a really good dynamic team that can innovate. We have a product and sector where we can innovate. They're okay. Some of the smaller organisations, if their product is more generic, really, really struggle. It can be quite a high risk. The most interesting one, though, is um, this fear of open data sources being closed. Um, for many people, they've simply said, well, if someone closes sources of open data, that's no different to someone shutting down a private source of open data or the company going bankrupt. That's fine. But what we are finding is there were one or two examples where someone, there's a very nice example, where someone created a brand new product using a new piece of open data from a government department. That government department then the following year decided to discontinue the publication of that data. So this little venture team had basically put together all of the code, they developed an app, they'd started the marketing, they'd spent a lot of time liaising with the customers, fine-tuning the, the product to make sure it was good, and then all of that was lost because the open data basically disappeared. So again, this kind of depends quite a lot on the open data, closed data mix on how much it affects your business model. 
legal, kind of pretty obvious. So making sure you've got enough legal caveats so people can't sue you if your data is a little bit wrong if you publish it. Ethical issues too. But this kind of main one is this idea of use and abuse. And this is quite difficult and I think will become more important in the future because you don't want people to take data that you've lovingly made available and published and to do something bad with it. And it's often very difficult because people often violate open data principles through their risk management. So a lot of people say, okay, to make sure we know who's using our data, we've got some government rules in place, we make sure everyone registers for an API key. Fine. You ask them what would happen if hypothetically a competitor was dumb enough to basically register for that key with, you know, me at competitor.com. And they'll tell you that if there's anyone we don't like the look of, we'll, um, you know, we'll not give them a key. Well, that completely violates the whole point of open data. So I think people have to be very careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of risk management. But again, this is something that we're looking at in a little bit more depth. So I promised a couple of examples which are quite nice. And the idea that because of open data being the way that open data is, it's very complicated. To actually derive value from it, you have to have a very carefully thought out business model. And effectively, this comes with a warning because one size does not fit all. One model which works perfectly for one organisation might not for others. So if we take this first example, this is a company which started off using open data as a key part of its products and then it started opening data. And the reason they were doing this is because, as I mentioned earlier, they were growth orientated. They didn't have the money to expand rapidly into new markets. So they thought if they opened up data, other people could create similar platforms and websites to feed them customers through a referral network using their data. And this worked really quite well. They did have a problem though with amateur developers. And what they actually found is a lot of people would create some rather poor quality apps, which wasn't really fulfilling their plan. So what they decided to do as a way of getting around this was actually to spend time and actually engage with the people that were using their data. And this crops up in the last slide. You can't, the most successful companies which open up data, just don't open the door and say, help yourself to my data. They actually try and develop more meaningful engagements. And we think this is quite key. Anyway, similarly, a, complete, a completely different company doing something vaguely similar actually found this model did not work at all. So this was a company that started basically uh, using a little bit of open data and then issuing data too. And they eventually um, ended up closing their open data because they found that it just didn't work with the business model. So this company was quite similar. It wanted to grow quite quickly. It wanted to go and be global. But the problem was is they just didn't have the time to spend loads of money on web development for microsites for different countries. So they thought if we open the data, people can get access to that. They can create apps in their own countries. We'll get growth quite quickly. Problem was with this is that um, they found that well, they had two big problems. They had so many people wanting to use their data. And often many of the developers created quite sort of rubbish apps. They found it was really bad for their brand, which was quite key. So they thought, well, we can't have all these kind of really crappy apps reflecting bad on the company. Let's try working with a few of them. But they simply had so many requests to work with them, this model just wasn't going to work. So they ended up having to effectively stop issuing and opening data. They basically decided to close it down. Another interesting problem they had, though, prior to that was this kind of stock hack attack. So what they, let's say hypothetically to... Um, for anonymity purposes, they sold widgets. Right, so what they did is, like um, Best Buy in the States, they decided to basically say how many different widgets they had 
available. So other referral sites could say, don't bother going to our store or don't bother ordering because we don't have enough stock. So inventory was part of our open data. And they thought that was a good idea. What they found though, is if they were getting slightly low on stock, someone somewhere would start buying up the last 10 of everything and dump it in their shopping basket. The problem was is they never checked out and bought it. So what they were doing is basically holding all of the stock. So genuine customers were going onto the website, oh, they don't have any widgets left in blue, green or yellow, I'll go and buy it from somewhere else. So by thinking that they could provide more accurate data to their affiliates and different platforms, they thought that was good, it ended up, it was actually a big vulnerability. So that again gave them a really, they hadn't actually thought through their data, they hadn't audited it and checked for risk. But after that, they were very, very careful about deciding, you know, what data do we make available? Because effectively, you know, they were being kind of sabotaged through their open data, which is something to uh, sort of bear in mind. So last slide then, it's just that we, what we've kind of started to realize is there's almost this kind of second phase in opening up data, initial data with businesses. So initially people just started to open up data and say, help yourself. What some of the most successful people are starting to do though, where they can afford it, is to develop more engagement with the people that are using their data, whether it's having hack days, blogs, emails, where they're actually answered. And what this means is you get more engagement with the people using your data. And this is really important for a few reasons. Number one, if you're a really large-ish organisation, you've got loads of data, you can't release it all at once, you've got to prioritise some stuff, you might not want to open stuff. But how can you decide which data sets to open, which are going to be risky, how are you going to have these debates? You've got to release stuff in an order. But as we mentioned already, open data is never free. There's always costs in processing it and hosting it. So if you can find out that maybe only 10% of the data is actually used by a lot of people that you issue, maybe you should just not bother opening the other 90%. There might be no point in doing that. But what we've started to find most important is this issue of open innovation. So a lot of these smaller startups that we've mentioned already that are sharing data aren't just opening it up, they're starting to engage with the users. And what this means is they can start to monetize the opening of data. So it's not just a case of being charitable in the world of open data anymore and saying, get data, play with it, do what you want. It's now a case that you can monetize that relationship. So you know who is using it, you can work with them, enhance their products, and maybe have more an affiliate kind of program coming in to basically monetize that. That then helps offset the costs of opening data and will hopefully, if adopted more widely, help people to start seeing the benefits of opening data. Anyway, uh, that's the end of that. So um, if you've got any questions, that's fine. It might be now, it might be in the future. Drop me an email. If you work for a company that's using open data and you'd like to become part of our study, then please do contact us. If you'd be interested in seeing a copy of the report when we finally got round to uh, putting it together, then uh, let us know as well. But, um, we'd appreciate that. Okay. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.